Mac Power Users, episode 464. Stephen who? Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Stephen Hackett. Welcome to the show, Stephen Hackett. Hey, David, I am so, so excited to be here and be started on what's going to be a, a fun, long journey together. Yes, me too. I, you know, I was very sad when Katie had to leave, but there was one person that came to my mind, and I am so happy that you were willing to come on and be the new co-host of the Mac Power Users. Welcome to the family, Stephen. Like I said, I'm really excited. I've been an MPU listener a really, really long time. I feel like your and Katie's input into like my life as a Mac user cannot be overstated. And it, they're huge shoes to fill. And I'm, I'm extremely humbled that y'all wanted me to do it. And I'm just I'm just ready to get going. It's going to be going to be fun. Yeah, well, gang, and this is an episode I, I'd really like you to listen to because it's uh, we're going to get to know Stephen a little bit, you know, what he likes and doesn't like about the Apple ecosystem, what he uses and doesn't use, and also just a little bit about Stephen personally. We've got some very, very important lightning round questions later we're going to ask. <laughs> and um, we're also going to talk about a bit of the future of the show. We've got something really exciting to announce just right out of the gate, but we are going to tease you and put that at the end of the show. So, so that's all good. Um, uh, one uh, less exciting announcement: I am going to PodCon. Awesome! Yeah, so that's in, up in Seattle in January, uh, January nineteenth, I believe. Um, and uh, if you're in Seattle and you're attending PodCon, please let me know. Rose and I from Automators are going to do some kind of meetup because Rose is going to be there too. Uh, Mike Hurley is going to be there. A bunch of the gang from Relay is going to be there. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be my first time attending. And uh, just if you're in Seattle in January, let me know. But with that being said, I think we should get started getting to know Mr. Hackett a little bit. Um, So Stephen, uh, tell us a little bit about you. I feel like I'm in the hot seat now, right? <laughs> yes, you are. Now, you're the interviewee on Mac Power Users for the last time because you're going to be carrying the weight with me going forward. I know. Yeah, we're already working on some fun interviews and stuff for the for we're starting in January with some really fun stuff, and it's it'll be interesting to be on the other side of that. Yeah, but yeah, I'm. Yeah. I mean, I'm just a nerd, man. Like through and through, we can get into the specifics of that. Uh, but if you can't tell from my accent, I'm not. David, I don't live where you live. I'm not from where you're from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I keep trying to talk you into moving out here. I know. So far, it hasn't worked. You are uh, extreme, extreme peer pressure on me. Like, hey, you know, California, we got all this great stuff. The weather's nice. We got all this this good stuff going on. But uh, I live in my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. Born here, raised here, went to college here. My parents live 15 minutes away from me. My brother lives five minutes away from me. I'm just a hometown, homebody kind of guy. And like I said, I've never been anywhere else. I never really had the desire to be anywhere else. You know, I travel all over the place for work, but I'm always glad to touch down back here in Memphis uh, each and every time. I think you and I have that in common. When I was in law school, I had this big desire to be a Los Angeles lawyer, you know, one of these big fancy lawyers and those big tall buildings. And I got a, a job. Well, it was like a, an externship thing where I worked for a federal judge for a while. And I was commuting to downtown LA every day and dealing with just the big city suburban mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And like within six months, I realized, you know what? I will never fit in here. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just not for me. And sure. Uh, I'm in the suburbs now. It's a little different from Memphis, but it, it is, I am not a big city boy either. Yeah. And, you know, Memphis is a, is a fairly good sized city, but it's like a lot of cities in the South, it's extremely spread out. So like my house 
geographically is basically dead center in the city limits, but it was suburbia in the 1950s. So it's like big oak trees and houses and like white picket fences and stuff. And so even in the city, it doesn't, it's not like being in, in some place like San Francisco or New York or LA where it's like big, big, like capital C city. Like it's a, it's a lowercase C city. And that, that's how I like it. And, uh, and Stephen, you're married. I am. So I am married to my high school sweetheart. We met when we were 16. Uh, I've got, I've got to tell this story. Uh, it doesn't paint me in the best of light, but you know, being honest with my interview here. Okay. I met my wife in high school at a high school job. It was this, it was at a sports complex and it was like part of the sports complex. They did like birthday parties for kids, like trampolines and tumbling and stuff. That's really popular now. This was kind of one of the first yeah. places that had that sort of stuff. And uh, we had a bunch of mutual friends. One of the mutual friends brought her on there. And my, David, my only power in this job was the schedule of who closed on the weekends. Yeah. And this girl came in, I liked her. I said, well, she ought to close on the weekends with me. You know, I, so I abused the one ounce of power my high school boss gave me. <laughs> I never heard this before. And uh, it's just like, well, I'm getting all these hours. Anyway, so we hit it off and we, we dated in high school and college. I uh, got married at the end of college and she is my better half in every way. She is smarter than I am. She is kinder than I am. She is uh, just the the exact right person the universe put me with in life. And uh, we've been married now like 11 and a half years. We've got three kids, uh, two boys and a girl, uh, ages 10, 8, and 4. And we have a dog named Eva Corndog, who has round out the Hackett family in the last couple of years. Wait, 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 wait. Eva Corndog? It, well, when you got kids, you know, they named the dog. And so Eva, because they were really into the movie Wally at the time. Yeah. And yeah. Corndog, she she does sort of look like a corndog. Like I could see how they got there. So uh, Eva Corndog is, is the, the four-legged member of the family. Now, does, does the dog need to hear the whole word before it comes or will it just come on Eva? Yeah, she'll answer just to Eva. Uh, thankfully, because Eva Corndog's a bit of a mouthful. You know, it's all you, syllables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 hard to get that out fast when she's running across the street. You know, Eva Corndog is like the the formal name, right? So maybe like this was true when I was a kid. My mom called me Stephen Michael. I knew I was in trouble if she if she used that yeah, middle yeah. name. So we kind of yeah. got the same thing going on with with the dog. <laughs> well, I don't know if it'll ever be relevant to the show, so I won't tell the whole story right now. But my wife's first impression of me was that I was a monumental jack. So <laughs> someday I'll tell a story, but it, it, I did not make a good, did not make a good first impression. Yeah. Yep, I'm just going to write that down real quick. Wait till we get to episode 800 for that one. <laughs> okay. I'll write it down. Uh, that's, that's great. Uh, you know, I've shared a lot about my family over the years online. I think a lot of people will know uh, that our oldest son is a patient at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. He had a cancer diagnosis as a baby. He's doing really, really well now. He's in third grade and, and doing awesome. And so one thing that's really special about sort of the Mac and like Apple community online is people have really like rallied around us. And every September we raise money for St. Jude. This year we raised like $68,000 for St. Jude in the month of September, which is just it just blows my hair back uh, every year. And people have been really supportive and kind to us uh, through that. It's been like 10 years now. But uh, if you if you come across that for me, that's kind of that story of our oldest son. Like I said, he's doing great now, which is a big blessing. Yeah, And, and indeed, the Mac Power User community uh, was part of that. You yeah, know, this absolutely. Year we talked about it on the show, and I know I heard from several listeners that, that donated, and everybody's in there with you on this. Yeah, I, I know, that means the world to us. It really does. 
Well, we're going to talk about all your geeky and nerdy stuff you do, but you also have a few hobbies outside of, um, you know, collecting old Macs. So (laughs) what are those? Uh, Yeah. So, you know, I spend my day in my studio working at at a computer and uh, like a lot of people, like a lot of people, like a lot of free agents, the hobby kind of became my job. Uh, So I really try to spend time outside of the office doing the things that I love. And so those for me, at least include a lot of bike riding. Uh, now the kids have come along doing hobbies with them. So like when I was a kid, I was really into model rocketry with my dad and we've just, my dad and I have sort of forced that on my kids. Thankfully they, nice. it, it, they accepted nice. it. <laughs> and, uh, so like doing model rocketry with them, our oldest son is Cub Scouts. So do a lot of stuff uh, with the pack and outdoor stuff with them. Um, but you know, for me, bike riding, going fishing, going for a walk in the woods, kind of decoupling from the tech is the best way for me to sort of reset if I need some time away. And so, you know, very often if I get a free afternoon or it's a nice weekend, I'll go out for several hours on a bike ride, you know, no podcast listening, no music, just sort of like unplug and think, or or sometimes not think, uh, and just get out into the world some and get some fresh air and some sunshine. And that means a lot to me this time of year, that's harder to come by uh, with a bunch of rain and and cooler weather. And uh, I miss it. I'm ready for warm weather to be back so we can get back to that stuff. Now, have you got on your model rockets, have you got to multi-stage? Are you guys like shooting them up in orbit? <laughs> we haven't done multi-stage yet. Uh, I think that's probably coming soon. This year, uh, this summer, we got into some really small ones. These really small motors. But even like the smallest motor you can buy, they're so fast, you can't see them. And they're tumble returns. So there's no parachute. So they're much simpler, which means yeah. they're like six bucks a piece, right? So if you blow one up or it goes away, it's not a big deal. And yeah. we lost several of those this summer, uh, just kind of like shooting them into the sky and realizing, I have no idea where that went. <laughs> it's gone forever. It just became a firework. Yeah, It's done. <laughs> I, I did model rockets as a kid. Um, it was like a hobby I picked up myself because, you know, like you, I grew up a nerd. And I got really good at climbing trees because I only had one rocket. And man, I was not going to lose that thing. And it was a parachute deploy. And, uh, and you know, so Southern California, there just aren't a lot of really big fields. So... Even if you'd go and shoot it off in the middle of like a park, there was a good chance the wind was going to get it in some adjoining house or something. Oh, yeah. You yeah. wave to it as it goes away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that in years. Oh, yeah. man. It's the, fun. It, yeah, it, it is, right? I mean, uh, and, and getting out and hiking, doing that stuff is fun, too. But I, I'm in for the rocketry. Something that we should mention to the listeners is Stephen also co-hosts with Jason Snell a great podcast all about the space program because that you're a big space enthusiast too. Yeah. So Jason and I have a show called liftoff where we cover the space industry. And when that's quiet, we cover sort of the science side of it with some explainer episodes. Like we did this big thing about like how the sun works. turns out the sun is complicated, I read a bunch of stuff and sort of explained it on a show. We've been doing that podcast for several years now. It's one of those things where Jason and I were just talking about it one day in Slack. We're like, why, don't, why isn't this just, why isn't this just a show? And so I've been lucky enough to see a couple of launches. I've been to NASA several times as press over the years. And so, yeah, it's it's nerdy, but it's not tech. Uh, so it's kind of a fun sort of uh, parallel world I can I can play in sometimes. When I was a young lawyer, I helped a, a guy who was, um, he had a contract problem, but he was a retired uh, Marine Corps general. Mm-hmm. And he was the guy in charge of the launch center at... Um, in Florida for years before oh, he cool. retired. And he, he told me when I, and I had a successful thing I did for him. He says, you know what, you want a front row seat at a launch. You just tell me. 
And, um, you know, and this was back when the shuttle was launching and I was really young. My kids were just being born and I was just always, you know, still dealing with, you know, the the being broke part of starting your life. And I so regret never taking him up on that. You know, I mean, I never did that. I should have. Yeah. Jason saw the last space shuttle launch. Uh, I was, this is going to make some listeners feel really old and some listeners feel really young. So I apologize to both of both groups, but I was born the day the Challenger exploded in 1986. So I've always felt sort of this connection to it uh, in a way that, you know, maybe that's silly, but it, it happened the day I was born. And so I've always sort of felt that uh, that closeness to it. And then when I got older, I started reading about it, learning about it, learning about the space industry, learning about NASA. I just fell in love with it. Yeah. I saw on Instagram, you had posted like a uh, Memphis issued a proclamation on the day you were born. Yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> yeah. uncle was mayor at the time. So oh, was he? A, a little nepotism, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought it was cool, but then I realized I was graduating high school when Steven was born. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You have to be warned. I've, I've been told that I just suck the life out of young people around me. So oh, no. be, be warned. <laughs> That's how I keep relevant. <laughs> so, uh, and then, and then you got in your education, um, you know, I, I'm, I do, I'm a lawyer thing on this side. What, what is it that you, uh, how'd you get started in life and what's your degree? Yeah. So I have a, a background in journalism. So in high school, I joined my high school newspaper staff and that was like an extremely influential thing in my life where I, I sort of used the Mac for the first time. And this, this concept I still think about all the time is like a computer is just a really fancy screwdriver to make stuff like that all started for me at the high school newspaper. When I went to college at the University of Memphis, I strolled into the college newspaper as an incoming freshman and asked for a job. And they gave me one, shockingly, as sort of a layout and a design person because uh, I did a lot of graphic design in my younger days and uh, worked my way through a journalism degree at the University of Memphis. So I've got a journalism degree with a background, a sort of a focus more in the production side than the like the writing and reporting side, even though I had to do a lot of that to get the degree, uh, yeah. which meant I spent probably like seven years of my life using Cork Express every single day. I feel like if I installed it today, I'd still be, I'd just fall right back into, right back into it. So kind of wired into my finger still, I'm afraid. Is that what got you into Mac to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. Is the, the high school paper ran on the Mac and I was like, well, if I want to do this, I've got to learn this computer. Cause I grew up with like a windows 95 machine at home. I sat down in front of it for the first time and it, it just clicked instantly. Like the, I, I understand what this computer can do for me. And I have this idea in my head. And I want to get it out. And this computer is the, the conduit for that. And that idea, I just, that's all I'm doing in my career is just chasing that idea now, you know, years and years later. Yeah. It is funny how, uh, uh, publishing, or I, I think even Katie was doing that in high school too. Um, that you know, desktop publishing was such a, an entry point for so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was the Max bread and butter. I mean, it was the kind of like the the Max only strong yeah. uh, sector. I guess like the only the only people using Max in the dark days yeah. were desktop publishing people, right? That was the Mac stronghold for so long. I mean, for me, it was because I was a little earlier in the curve. The Mac just did the graphical user interface so much better than everybody else. That was the, that was the pull, mm-hmm. but, but you're right. You know, it, it is desktop publishing. I thought we should share with the listeners a little bit about, um, our friendship. Um, I, I can tell you, I know the first time I became aware of you was, uh, when you started 512 pixels because, uh, 512 pixels.net I believe, right? 
Yes. Yeah. You started that and it was like a real deal block. I mean, when it started, I didn't know who you were, but I started seeing some links to you and I just started reading. And I immediately subscribed to your RSS feed. And I don't know how long ago, it was very shortly after you started the blog. So I think it was about 10 years ago. Yeah. The, the blog just turned 10 uh, in the fall of 2018, which is, it's hard to believe that it's, it's been going so long and it's been, cons- I've been consistent with it. And it's, 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 it's funny if you do anything for long enough, you re- you read or listen to old stuff and he's like, man, I had some really weird ideas back then about things. Yeah. But, uh, I like that. It's a continual body of work that's lasted a decade. Yeah. And you know, Max Barkey wasn't that old then either when you got started. Mm-hmm. So, um, I felt like we were kind of in it together, although I had never met you and we had exchanged a few emails. And so you were a person on my computer. Uh, for me, you became a real person. Whew. Uh, it was at Macworld, I believe. It it was. It would have been. I th- I actually looked for pictures earlier. I believe it was Macworld 2011. That sounds about right. So as we record this, it was we've been friends with, I guess, human contact for about eight years now, mm-hmm. and um and we really hit it off. I mean, I, I felt like uh, I had a really good time hanging out with you. Yeah, me too. Um. <laughs> We had we had an ice cream date. Is the first thing we did together. It was like the last. Was it the first thing or was it the last? I thought it was like at the end. I want to say think it, was- it was like the end of MacWorld. It's kind of kind of like people are all leaving or whatever, and there was an ice cream place like you know around the corner somewhere, and I'd stopped in to get something. It's like oh look up like oh there's David Sparks, and and we sat down. I feel like we talked for like an hour and a half, and just like about all sort about life, yeah, Max, all of it, and yeah, I remember that very fondly. And me too. And for me. It was like, it was kind of the first thing I did. The blog was, I guess, then like a, a couple years old, but I'd never been to WWDC before this. Macro was like the first thing I did like in this community. And it was so welcoming, uh, not only by you, but by, by everybody, there were so many people. That's when I really realized that, oh, this is more than just like people on Twitter or a bunch of blogs or some podcasts. Like this is a real community of people who care about each other and like are passionate about the same sort of stuff. I think that's pretty special on the internet. I really, I really, I really do. Yeah. And, and Stephen and I were, uh, we're, we're constantly messaging each other unrelated to anything that we talk about on the show. And, and uh, we uh, are giving each other a hard time about um, workouts. I think I sent you some unicorns the other day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. First day back in the gym after Christmas. Like, oh, yeah. yeah I used to work out. <laughs> yeah. So this is all right. So uh, so Stephen did a workout, but it was a short one. It, it was. was. Like, it was very short. So I was trying to send him like kind of a, a, a dig about it, but I didn't have my yeah. glasses on and I ended up sending three unicorn hits. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm not really sure what that means, but uh, I was like, oh, like, oh, OK. After they sent him like, OK, well, I sent three unicorn hits. I'll let him figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea what you were saying even now. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not sure either, but it was fun. I wanted to take a minute to talk about our first sponsor, and that's our friends over at ScanSnap. Fujitsu has a new ScanSnap out. It's the iX1500. And it's been a while since they released a new scanner, and this one really has just got all the bells and whistles. It's a it's a great scanner. They they just sent me one. I started playing with it just this week as I'm doing my year-end scanning and getting things set up. Um, uh, secret here, we record this just slightly before New Year, but the uh, it's got uh, it does thirty pages per minute. It's got wireless. It's got cloud. You know, it's cloud enabled, so you can use the ScanSnap cloud service. It's basically all these features they've been working on over the last several years. They built into one scanner and. 
it's a great desktop scanner. I mean, with that fast speed and the full duplex, you can run your, your paper through it. It scans both sides at one time. I'm a big fan of having a desktop scanner if you have a lot of paper in your life. That's me because of my day job. So paper is constantly coming in. I can put stacks, you know, big stacks of paper in this thing, and it just zips right through them. And one of the things I really like about the new ScanSnap iX1500 is that it's got this a touchscreen on the front. And at first I wasn't sure, you know, what am I going to do with the touchscreen? You know what? I love it because they've done a good job of the interface on it. I mean, they still have the big blue scan button, which everybody loves, but you've got a bunch of shortcut buttons there. So if you want to save to a specific location, or if you have a picture you want to stick in the middle, or if maybe you have receipts you want to email to somebody, you know, using all those services I was just talking about, you can customize your scan as to where it's going and what it's going to do with it just right there on that touch screen, right on the front of the scanner. You don't have to fiddle around with software in your Mac. It just happens for you. So, I mean, it's just a, it's a great scanner. It's really kind of a culmination of a lot of things Fujitsu has been working on for the last several years. It's also got some great features in it to help avoid getting streaks and, you know, they, they all the things they've learned, like they've got the thing that pings in it. So if you accidentally put two, if it catches two pieces with the feeder, it will uh, immediately tell you and then you'll make sure to get it done right. Um, all, all that technology they've been working on has has shown up in this really, really awesome scanner. That's the Fujitsu iX. 1500. Now, if you'd like to learn more about it, we're going to send you to scansnapworld.com. That's where they have all the information on it. We'll put a link in the show notes. If you decide to get one, no matter where you get it from, drop them a note, send them a tweet, let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. But uh, thanks, Fujitsu, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users over the years and making this really cool brand new scanner. All right. So, Stephen, uh, in addition to shooting rockets, uh, you're a geek. Yeah, professional and on a personal level, <laughs> both. Yeah. I think we all are. I mean, a lot of the folks listening to the show were, you know, one thing I always remember is that uh, some of the stuff we talk about on the show uh, is it's up to our listeners to spread the word to their families and or, or the bad news sometimes, too. <laughs> you yeah, <know>? sometimes <laughs> it means you got to you got to give some bad news. That's right. Yeah. But the uh, so it makes sense because you were working kind of doing a lot of technology stuff in the publishing side of the world throughout college. Uh, you eventually found yourself out to be an Apple employee. I did. So I was sort of wrapping up school and needed to uh, help make some ends meet. And actuality also needed to like pay off my wife's engagement ring. Like I said, we got we got married in school. And I took a like a temporary like holiday salesperson job at my local Apple store. I had some friends on up there, and they said, "Hey, you know the the seasonal thing's pretty uh, pretty straightforward. You just come in and interview, and you know unless you're some sort of goofball, then you should be set." And uh, that for me grew into uh, a sort of a, a more stable sales position after the. Holiday season ended. And this is like I should put in some context. This is like holiday two thousand and six. So like iPods are big, right? People are buying iPods for Christmas for everybody. Uh, it's that it's that time frame. The iPhone is not here yet, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, kind of getting thrown in the deep end uh, when you're learning how to swim. You know, first week at the Apple stores, the week of Black Friday, you're just like, well, I guess that we're doing this, <laughs> and it. Uh, it was a really fun time being on the sales floor, but very quickly I, I don't want to say I got in trouble with this, but I 
I sort of was overstepping what I should be doing as a salesperson because I had all this technical knowledge and like people would come in with questions. I'd be like, suddenly I'd be like helping somebody on the side of the store for half an hour instead of like selling iPod socks or whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> were iPod socks still for sale then? I forgot. Uh, about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they were. <laughs> uh, they're awesome. But it, it was noticed by management and, and thankfully there was an assistant manager uh, who saw this and she, uh, realized that I would be a pretty good fit to to sort of move out off the sales floor into the genius program. And uh, so we talked about it and I talked to Mary about it and I was still in school at this point, um, but ended up becoming a Mac genius. And again, this is, you know, this is again, 2006, 2007, early, early iPhone days here is kind of where we are in the timeline. So very different from the Apple store we know today, but, uh, yeah, I earned that Mac Genius name tag. It was it was pretty fun. And that was back in the. Didn't they send you to Cupertino in those days to get the training, or did you do it locally? Yeah, so it was get on an airplane and go to Cupertino. I was there for about two weeks. Uh, did training uh, right around the corner from Infinite Loop. Got to eat lunch at Infinite Loop at Cafe Max, and really kind of get to know the culture of Apple because when you're in retail. It's a very different organization, right? You're 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 part of Apple, but you're not really part of Apple, uh, kind of in the way you are if you're on campus or working for Apple Corporate. But Genius was kind of the bridge between those two worlds, and so we got to see what Apple was like and sort of take those values and ideals back to the store and kind of become the ambassador for those ideas and concepts in the store, which was a, a position I really took seriously and 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 really cared about people on the team doing the right thing for the customer because that that was why we were there and it was uh, something that I really instilled on my geniuses because that was instilled on me when I was you know at cafe Max talking to a genius trainer it was it really was uh, for so early in my career uh, a really sort of pivotal moment for me yeah it's kind of like the big boy moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I did I did that training. And like I said, it was about two weeks. Uh, it was half software and half hardware. So I was there. Uh, this was sort of like the OS X Tiger days. Uh, I was a genius during the Tiger to Leopard transition. Spotlight. I remember that. Yeah. That's right. Oh, man. <laughs> so good. Um, you could search a computer from anywhere. What an idea. And uh, it, was, uh, it was something you know, that changed a lot. I was in there, I was there for just a critical time with the iPhone sort of coming online. Uh, I was there for the iPhone 3G launch and the app store. So I saw a lot of change from behind the genius bar. Uh, and it was a, it was a fun period, but it was sort of Apple's first big growth time after the iPod had come out. You know, the iPhone was such a different beast and sold to so many people. It really very quickly changed, uh, sort of in front of my eyes, honestly, as a genius. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And it's so much different now than it was back then, even. It's, I know I have several friends that have worked at Apple over the years, and everybody's got a different opinion as to when was the best time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, now it's it's even separate where you have geniuses, but then you have people who are sort of just doing iPhone stuff, just doing iPad stuff. You have sort of different tiers. Yeah. Uh, when we were there, it was you're at the bar helping people or you're in the back turning screws, you know, doing repairs on Macs. And that still goes on in stores. They still do a lot of repair. 
but it uh, it was a little bit simpler then because Apple had fewer product lines. You know, it was just it was kind of less to worry about. iCloud wasn't a thing, right? It's like, uh, is this syncing or not? Well, you know, do you have a .Mac account? If you don't, then no. You know, it was sort of a simpler time, especially when you think about services. Well, also, just looking back, I mean, back then, you could take screws out of Macs and fix them. <laughs> That's and true. And now you really can't. I mean, now it's like you need a glue gun and all this other stuff. So, it, yeah, it, it was a real different ballgame. We opened uh, with the first MacBook Air came out. The, someone at our store bought one like the day it came out, and it was bad out of the box. So we replaced it, and I said, well, before we send this back... Uh, I'm going to open it because we haven't seen one of these yet. And and I remember opening that machine and thinking, oh, my gosh, how could a Mac be so small? <laughs> right yeah. now you look at the 12-inch yeah. MacBook. It's like, wow, that's tiny compared to the old MacBook Air. But it really was a machine that boggled my mind at the time. How how could this thing be so small? How, how could they make something uh, so thin and light? And, of course, that was just the beginning of our modern era. Yeah. It, it is it is kind of crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I do wonder these days how much Mac repair actually happens in an Apple store. I mean, beyond like adding memory. I mean, I'm not sure what they can. They still section cup off a an iMac um, display. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. My understanding is desktops are still repaired in the store. Yeah. But, you know, they don't sell many desktops compared to notebooks. Notebooks yeah. can be repaired in the store, but then they can also be shipped out to repair centers, which is how it was when I was there, too. Yeah. Interesting. Well, but you only, but you, you, you moved on from Apple. I did. I was a genius, uh, sort of in Apple retail for about two years. And I had a opportunity come my way. Uh, a consulting firm in town was opening an Apple authorized service provider. So just very, very briefly, AASPs are Apple partners. So an ASP can order you a, an Apple part from Apple and they can do repairs and it's covered under your Apple care. Sure. The, these shops, uh, exist in a couple different ways. They they exist in cities where there's not Apple stores. Or like in Memphis, uh, there used to be like three or four of these, and they mostly serviced schools. And this company, uh, which is already up and running doing a lot of other consulting stuff, mostly on like the PC and networking side, they said, you know, we've got clients with Macs. We want to go after Mac business. Uh, we want, we're going to uh, open an AASP. And Stephen, you know, you're the lead genius at the Apple store. We would like you to come run our service shop. And quite frankly, it was an offer that was like too good to refuse. <laughs> and uh, so I left the Apple store and went to this consulting firm. Uh, most of our clients were K through 12 schools. And so this may be different now, but at the time, so like 2008, 2009, 2010, uh, David, say that you're a school district, poof, you're a school district. And you order, uh, let's say, you know, 500 iMacs to put in all your school libraries and two in every classroom, all your schools, right? That's going to overwhelm your internal IT staff when those show up. And so what Apple would do is they would sell you, uh, the Sparky School District, 500 iMacs. And in that contract would be a service agreement to have them like imaged and inventoried and installed. And our company would be at the other end of that contract. And so we would come in and we'd have 500 IMAX delivered to us. We would inventory them all. We would image them with all your software and all your configuration stuff. And then we would come install them in all those classrooms and school libraries. And we did that for two years. And unfortunately, the timing was just kind of bad. Uh, 2008, 2009, 2010, that was a, a 
some down years in the economy, and uh, pretty quickly we realized that uh, it was not going to be sustainable. And it was a lot of fun. It was it's fun to work on big projects like that. Like to have a tractor trailer full of IMAX back up to your door is extremely overwhelming. Like emotionally yeah. <laughs> overwhelming. Like, I have to get all these ready, but we did it. <laughs> so you've set up a lot of IMAX, is what you're telling us. <laughs> a, a lot of IMAX, a lot of MacBooks. Uh, the job that uh, was the worst, we set up. I'm going to say thousands. I don't know the exact number. Thousands of iPod touches for the state of Florida for all their science classrooms. And but this is before something like Jamf or like yeah. even Apple Configurator. Yeah, doing by hand. Uh, and it was brutal. <laughs> the tools are way better now if you're doing this sort of thing. But it was fun. I got to learn things like uh, Mac OS 10 server and learn a lot of networking and learn like how do you solve problems on a bigger scale. You know, the Apple store, I'm fixing one MacBook for one customer. When you're in 200 MacBooks, it's a different thing. And so I got to learn different skills, but still related to the Mac. And it was it was a time of a intense learning and intense growth for me professionally. Uh, but ultimately, the company uh, just didn't make it. So where'd you go from there? Uh, I freaked out for a minute. And then... Uh, yeah, with uh, kids and yeah, wife. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, we ended up uh, at the Salvation Army. So I, uh, the Salvation Army built a bunch of community centers across the country years ago. One of them was here in Memphis, and I knew some people involved in that. They had kind of talked to me about coming on as the IT director, but they were still fundraising. They didn't need an IT director. They had a staff of two. You don't need an IT. You don't need three employees, and one of them be the IT director. Um, but I ended up coming on there in 2010 as employee number four. And I spent uh, three years basically getting a hundred thousand square foot building. Uh, the floor the floor plans were done. The building was designed, but there was no infrastructure in it. So we had to do all the IT, all the audio visual, all of this stuff in this building that had everything from a three hundred seat theater to a, a swimming pool to basketball courts to like we built a recording studio. All this like community center type stuff under one very large roof. And I came on being basically a Mac guy, but the Salvation Army, this in 2010, 2011, is running Windows Vista and then eventually Windows 7. So I, I very quickly had to come up to speed on PC stuff, ended up hiring people uh, to help me with that, hired sort of a Windows administrator, hired an audio video coordinator. And we spent three years getting this building done. You know, I we're gonna talk about this in a minute, but like I've started companies since then. This was by far the hardest job I ever had because it was okay, I know all this Apple tech stuff, but I need to integrate it now with audio video systems. I need to integrate it with like fancy pants networking. I need to integrate it with enterprise wireless. I need to integrate it with point of sale stuff. How do I get these Windows uh users who also want a Mac sometimes? Like how do we interface all this stuff? And it was the first time where I was outside the Apple bubble in my career. And it was extremely challenging, but I learned so much about uh, how the, the broader world of IT works. And the Salvation Army, they do great work, but it's a big corporation. It's like, oh, the IT director for like the South is in Atlanta. like, And I can make some decisions, but some have to go through him. It was the first time I had anything like that in my career. And it was challenging, but it's really where I sort of learned how the Mac in particular can go into these different environments. And like all the audio video stuff we did, which was like a million dollars worth, was all powered by Macs. And like learning how all that stuff worked in a, in a kind of an interesting way, dealing with like remote management in a way I had never done before. 
And that's also where you get your like audio and video ninja skills because yeah, you do have a lot of those. I remember um, when we had our bunk beds together at WWDC a few years ago. <laughs> it's not a joke, dear listener. They were bunk beds. <laughs> yeah, they were bunk beds. There was a there was a um, table in the room, and there were so many. You were running all the podcasts for all of Relay, and there was a lot of gear you had in there. <laughs> I have a box uh, on my desk, actually, with a new recorder in it. That I'm going to deal with this afternoon. Uh, but yeah, that's where I kind of got into AV gear. This was about the time I was starting podcasting on the side. Uh, it actually started in about twenty, the end of 2010. And so I was kind of figuring out podcasting a little bit, but then also dealing with like large scale AV problems. Like how do you do sound for a 300 seat theater? Like I had no idea. So I had to learn and like had to work with vendors and work with uh, my direct reports and work with my boss and like figure out how all the, all the pieces go together. So you know, that theater could have a play production on a Saturday, and then they're going to have church in there on Sunday. And then Monday night, they're going to have, uh, you know, rehearsals for something else. Like, how do we build something flexible to meet all these needs? And it, I, I will always look upon that job with fondness. I really enjoyed my time there, but it was backbreaking. And by the time I left, uh, I was I was pretty, pretty worn out <laughs> from getting uh, that big of a building up and running in a pretty short period of time. I'm really looking forward to having the benefit of that knowledge, though, uh, when we talk to, about some of the Mac Power User subjects, because I think a lot of that stuff is going to play right into even just kind of the home audio stuff that we get into on occasion yeah. here. Man, it's such a fun topic, and and it's it's one that there's with AV stuff in particular. There's sometimes there's no right or wrong answer. It's about what you want to do and what the budget is and what someone's comfortable with, but it's definitely not something that is um, necessarily like this is the way it has to be all the time. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Text Expander multiplies your team's productivity, making up-to-date shared knowledge available instantly. So if you work with a team, you want to make sure that all the communication from that team is on the same page. And with Text Expander, all of those common responses are accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. So they don't, they don't have to go into a complicated menu system. Just use the keyboard as they're typing. You can write and edit these responses by your best writers, and they are shared automatically and instantly with everyone on your team. And the best part, it's available on multiple platforms. So if you have te- team members on a Mac, someone's using an iPad, someone over there is using a Windows machine, or someone just on the web, these snippets are available to all of those team members. Like I said, they're updated immediately everywhere whenever they're modified. Using Text Expander with your team will change your life, making you more productive, and that leaves you with more time for what you do best. You don't have to worry about this sort of stuff. You can set it up once and know that all this communication is consistent and it's the way that you want it. If you have a large team, Text Expander supports single sign-on and grouping accounts to make onboarding a breeze. You can make sure someone is in the right group with the right access very easily and quickly. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander. And while you're there, let them know you heard about TextExpander from us, the Mac Power Users. So, Stephen, while you were doing all this, setting up a 100,000 square foot building, <laughs> but doing a lot of IT and everything, you were also building up the 512 pixels and the podcasting and all this stuff on the side. You're a side hustle guy. Yeah, I, I always was. Uh, as soon as I left Apple, I started blogging. You know, Apple has some pretty strict rules around that sort of thing, as you may imagine. And basically, when I started my job at the ASP, I installed WordPress and started writing uh, the blog. 
Which makes sense. You had a journalist degree and... Yeah. And I had stuff to say. Why not? And I felt at the time that I had this perspective of being a genius and I, and that is a very heavy influence in the first few years of the blog, no doubt. And yeah, I get to use the degree I have, you know, I have a journalism degree, but working in IT is like, maybe I can mix that chocolate and peanut butter a little bit. Um, and, uh, but yeah, 2010, 2011, started getting into podcasting a little bit, uh, through Mike Hurley, he had a show and he interviewed me about uh, about the iPad when it was introduced. So in early 2010, and we hit it off and started doing some shows together. Uh, one of those shows has morphed into Connected, a show that I do with Mike and Federico, uh, where we cover Apple News each week. And one is Ungenius, where Mike and I talk about weird stuff we find on Wikipedia. It's <laughs> like, I promise it's a show. I know it sounds bananas, but it is. And it was just fun experimenting and exploring the format of podcasting. It was, it was a medium unlike anything I had any experience with because I'd writing and, and designing, you know, doing physical newspapers, like podcasting is really far removed from that, but it's something that I, I just, I really loved instantly. I just love the, the, what happens when a couple of people who are friends talk about something they're interested in for a little while. And what can come out of that is something that's really unique to podcasting. And it was fun to, explore that in those early days. And then you and Mike eventually formed the Relay.fm network. We did. So we started Relay FM in the summer of 2014. Uh, so the network will be five years old later this year, which is uh, a little mind-blowing, to be honest with you. And, you know, we've been doing shows uh, elsewhere and had decided that it was time to kind of go out on our own and that we could do this under our own banner, you know, uh, drive our own ship, whatever analogy you want to insert here. And so we launched with six shows and uh, all the shows were pre-existing except Analog with Casey List. That was our first new show. Very quickly, uh, Relay grew to where Mike was able to leave his job. And then I followed suit in the summer of 2015, leaving my job behind and sort of jumping in with both feet into uh, Relay FM and 512 Pixels, putting those things together to to put food on the table each month. I actually feel like I played a small role in that. I'm proud of that. You uh, did. I, so I got to tell the story. So at WWC 2015, so Mike's been independent, Relay's a year old. I've, I was already on the fence. And I was kind of at a point where like, I'm making enough for Relay. I could do it, but I was nervous about it. And you and Jason Snell... Uh, we sat down uh, at this tea place in San Francisco around the corner from... S Samovar. Yeah. 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 Samovar. That's right. Yes. Like this weird outdoor mall. It's kind of a weird spot. But, uh, and you and Jason, I mean, I don't want to say you ganged up on me, but you ganged up on me. You're like, look, like if the money, like the money's working for you, you could do so much more with Relay if you're full time. You should do it. This is, this may be your, this is like your chance. This is your moment. And uh, it that stuck with me. And I basically turned in my notice when I, when I got back from San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't like, we do the free agent podcast, which, which just, by the way, I guess I should tell everybody, if you haven't listened to free agents in a while, uh, we've just transitioned that podcast. Mike and I, uh, in January have turned it into a new podcast called focused, which is more broad productivity discussion because, um, we found so many people were listening that weren't free agents and we said, well, let's make the show what the listeners are. Uh, but anyway, uh, but I, during the free agent run, I was always very careful never to tell people to quit their job. But 
you were an exception for me because it was just so obvious. I mean, you were, first of all, you're so well suited to run relay. You and Mike uh, make such a good team. And, uh, and I knew that the network would just blow up if it had a hundred percent Steven behind it. So I'm glad that you did that. Yeah. And that's effectively what happened. Uh, I was able to start new projects and get things going within the company that needed to be done. And now, you know, several years into it, there's, there's no looking back. Yeah. Uh, now, underlying everything that you do, Stephen, uh, let's forget about your fancy, successful business for a minute. <laughs> Done. Put that aside. <laughs> underline everything. Everything. Underline everything. You uh, you love old Max. I do love old Max very much, and it 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 doesn't come from nostalgia because, like I said yeah, earlier, you were there. <laughs> I wasn't there. I, I grew up with a Windows ninety five machine. I started using the Mac in two thousand one uh, in the OS. You know. 8.5 OS 9 days, uh, installed OS 10, like 10.2, I think, like my senior year of high school, uh, which was, you know, it was a couple years old at that point, but we were using older Macs and that's all they would run. But I was so enamored with the platform and what it allowed me to do as a creative person that I just, I just wanted to know everything I could about it. Like it, the, the Mac was a world unto itself. And I felt like I'd missed out on a bunch of that because my parents had a Windows machine. Thanks, Mom and Dad. So I, starting, you know, I don't know how many years ago, let's call it 2010, 2011, I started really diving into this. And it started by doing some blogging about Apple history and old machines, something I do to this day. Uh, but then I started collecting these machines. And it started, a friend of mine gave me a G4 Cube, I think for Christmas one year or my birthday or something. And I was like, oh, like I had no idea this machine existed. It's like, go find some YouTube videos about it. See where Steve Jobs announced it. And people go crazy because it's, it's like a wild-looking machine. That was the liquid-cooled one, wasn't it? Uh, no, the Cube is has no cooling. That's right. It is That's passively right. cooled. Right. Uh, well, they said it was. It didn't, it didn't work super yeah. well. It became a space heater. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you would put a sheet of paper on the top of it. And it would just shut off because it got too yeah, hot. I remember a friend um, of mine had that computer and I would go over his house and it was just the coolest computer I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. I've got it on my case. Uh, it looks awesome. It still looks good today. Yeah. And, and like some, like sometimes, sometimes, David, you know this, right? Uh, sometimes when you get into something, it, it gets away from you a little yeah. bit. And before I knew it, I had Max like stashed like in the closet nursery, you know, in our, in our old house and like, uh, in the pantry and all these things. In the pantry. And, yeah, well, the, next, next to the, like the dog yeah, food. Yeah. Like, oh, there's power books in there. <laughs> yeah. where, where else would I keep them? You know, they're in the pantry. Uh, and it, my wife's like, Hey, you know, you gotta, we don't have any room for this sort of stuff. And, uh, but now I have a studio and, uh, it's just me and it's really sort of taken off. And I'm in a position now where, Cause I'm, so I I I kind of a couple years ago decided like if there's if there's going to be an Apple historian or a Mac historian in particular like I would I'd like that for people to think of me when they think of that it's a very niche thing but I was like I can carve that out for myself and for the blog and you know people will send me machines now or email me and say hey I've got this computer do you want it and you know, sometimes I pass sometimes I accept them and uh, I actually meant to count before we record to have an, have an accurate number but the number is somewhere. Uh, around 65 max now. Uh, most of them are notebooks. Uh, the notebooks outweigh the desktops a good bit. There are a lot of computers in here, and there's a, there's a link in the show notes. I did a tour of my studio on the the MPU forums, and uh, there's a picture of the collection in there. You can go check out. Yeah, it's a great. Um, we'll put a link to this uh, Steven Studio tour, and you know what? I'm going to do a similar one. Uh, uh, 
set of pictures on my studio now that I'm, I'm kind of done. You know, I went through this whole process last year or getting it set up, but then we had some family stuff and I got delayed, but in the next month or two, I'll do it as well. I think Steven is going to win though. Cause I'm just like looking, there's first of all, there's one picture you have to see. It's a top shelf. And the first thing I said, is that a bunch of books? And then you zoom in. No, it is the biggest pile of MacBooks I've seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. that's the laptop library. iBooks and PowerBooks and MacBooks and MacBook Pros, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, all sorts of fun stuff. I don't know if I ever told you this. When my daughter was first getting interested in you know, having a computer, I didn't, she was too young to be on the internet. And, uh, and we had a, a, we always kept the iMac as my kids were young um, downstairs where everybody could see it. And I just wanted to be around when they were on the computer and the internet. And so she wanted one in her room. And uh, a friend of mine sent me a Mac SE, which was the computer I lusted after back in the day, but I couldn't afford. Oh, yeah. So I set up a Mac SE for her. And then I got a flop, a, a USB connected floppy drive. And she would write stuff on the Mac SE and we'd take the floppy up. So she's she's now 22 years old and she started on a Mac SE. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's probably a rare class of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I just find it so interesting to see where Apple's been with the Mac and where they're going to go with the Mac, I think can be partially informed from the past. And at the heart of it, I'm a hardware guy. Like when I was a genius, I always loved hardware troubleshooting, hardware repair. I still love that sort of stuff. And so just seeing how something like the MacBook Pro has evolved over its lifetime, you know, it's now uh, 12 years old as a platform. Seeing how it's changed is really interesting to me. And it's afforded me some cool stuff over the years. So this summer I got to go to the Henry Ford Museum. I donated 13 iMac G3s to them earlier uh, last year. I had done a project a couple years ago to round up all the different colors. There was Even in the studio, there was not room for 13 iMacs. And uh, so I donated them to the Henry Ford. They do uh, America Technology uh, sort of as their focus. And uh, they were on display. So I got to go up there and I spoke at their Maker Fair and got to see the, the iMacs on display. It was really... It was really pretty cool, and that that was only possible because uh, I had the sort of wild idea to like, I wonder what all 13 iMacs look like side by side. Somebody should do that. <laughs> <laughs> I love, though, that you, you made a, a museum donation from your collection. <laughs> It's pretty, it's pretty wild. Uh, so my, like, uh, I'll put a, a link in the show notes to a video I did uh, when I was at the museum, and it's got like my name on the plaque and stuff when they're on ex- when they're on exhibit. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. And, and just looking at these pictures right now, I, I do have to tell you that the the winner of all these Macs, I mean, you've got a 20th anniversary Mac here. Mm-hmm. Looks like, is that, is that great one? Is that the Mac that had the TV tuner built into it, if memory serves? Yep, Macintosh TV right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, for, I remember that one. Not a great computer. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. But it was a great idea for like a dorm room, right, at the time. Oh, yeah, perfect. But, but, yeah. The, uh, but the winner is the, is the Cube, honestly, just looking at all of them here. I, yeah, the cube it just stands out. There's nothing like it, and it's something that I, uh, if I had to get rid of all of these and I, I had to keep two, I would keep the 20th anniversary and the cube, yeah. uh, hands down. We haven't even talked about it, but Stephen does a YouTube channel, so he shoots like a lot of cool videos around Macs and Mac history. Um, I'm mm-hmm. sure that'll come up as we work through the show. And um, but you've got a really cool rig in here to shoot top down. And I'm super jealous of that. I would love to have that here. But um Yeah, my dad and I built that this summer and it is it's neat to have to take product shots uh straight down. It's kinda of hard to do actually. 
And so we built we, – we basically just watched a bunch of YouTube videos of people who had built them yeah. and sort of figured out, okay, these are common things you need. And then uh, he's a contractor, so he, he has tools and know-how. It's like, hey, will you help me build this? And so that was a, a fun summer project together. Yeah, I, I do it now with a uh, with a tripod. The way I do it is just bananas. But anyway, I'm jealous of that. <laughs> Totally unrelated to the show, but I'm jealous. <laughs> no, it's it's all it's all on the table today. I'm in the hot seat. Okay. <laughs> this episode of the Mac Powers is brought to you by Luna Display. And Luna Display is the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. Uh, this gives you a super portable second display with stunning image quality and basically zero lag. I, I have been having so much fun with this thing. You know, when they first came on to sponsor the show, they said, Do you want us to send you one? I'm like, no. I already bought one. I, I backed them when this was in the backing stage. And I got the USB-C one. You can get it different formats. I got the USB-C one. So it plugs right into the back of my iMac. And I'm using it for all these different purposes. Even though I have a second monitor on my desktop computer, I love the idea of putting this thing just to the side with my my big iPad Pro. And like, for instance, right now as we're recording the show, I've got it running all the recording tools, you know, the meters and everything I need to make a podcast just over to the side here on the screen that I can see. But I've been having a lot of fun just playing with it around the house too. Like the other day I was using the Luna display with my iPad in another room, you know, and it was, it worked. It was kind of like having, because I don't have a laptop, it was kind of like having this virtual Mac on a, on an iPad and I was using my keyboard with it and it works fine. Uh, if you don't have access to a Wi-Fi connection, you can use it connecting uh, via USB. It's super simple. Um, Luna Display also acts as a complete extension. So uh, you can have the external keyboards, the Apple Pencil, touch interactions, all from your iPad, but driving your Mac. It, it really just basically turns your Mac into a touchscreen device. You know, when I see this thing, I keep thinking, man, I wish Apple would make like a huge iPad and I could use Luna Display to drive my Mac like an, like an iPad. Um, so I, I've been having a lot of fun with this thing. I, I continue to find new uses for it. And the underlying technology here is just that constant rock solid connection. It really does feel like it's a connected second display. Uh, listeners of Mac Power users get an exclusive 10% off the Luna display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code POWER at checkout. That's lunadisplay.com and promo code POWER at checkout. Pick one of these up and just start playing with it. You'll be surprised how many uses you can find for it. Our thanks to Luna Display for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. So uh, putting the cube aside, Stephen, what's uh, <laughs> no. what, what, what uh, Mac stuff are you using these days to get your work done? Yeah, so I sit in front of a, a base model iMac Pro. Y'all had Jason Snell on a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Uh, Jason is at fault for me buying this computer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I had uh, been using a 5K iMac, and I had actually upgraded to a, a new one uh, when the iMac Pro came out. And it was too noisy. The fan was kind of really loud and overload. And so I returned it and had bought the, the base model, the $5,000 iMac Pro. And look, I've got more Mac hardware experience than most people. It is the, my favorite computer I've ever owned. Like past, present, maybe future. It is so powerful, but silent. I love the all-in-one uh, form factor. And I've got a lot of stuff hooked up to it for audio production. But I don't have a, a tower and like a separate display and cables for all that stuff. All the cables go down the back of the desk really neatly. And so it's really just sitting in front of a big screen. And it, it 
the iMac Pro just it it can take anything I throw at it, and I throw a lot of audio production, a lot uh, a lot of video production, doing 4K video. It just doesn't break a sweat. Like <laughs> I've never thought, man, I wish I'd saved up and gotten the 10 core or done something. Like the base model is plenty for me. Yeah, and I'm doing a lot of real big media work with it. No, I, I agree. It's it's one of those purchases that just hurts once, but you're really happy every time you use it afterwards. Yeah. I've had no regrets. And clearly it's not for everyone. If you spend your time in Microsoft Office, you don't you do not need. In fact, you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference between a Retina iMac and a an iMac Pro because, you know, the multi-core stuff is where this, this expensive one really pays off. Absolutely. But the uh but man, it is a nice machine. I agree. It's super quiet and it it hurts when you buy it, but but it is nice. It did, uh, it did hurt, and but you know, like for a long time, uh, I just used a string of notebooks, and I'd upgrade every couple of years. And like, we'll see. Uh, we'll just put a, a marker here to see what I do when the Mac Pro comes out. I'm, I may give up the all-in-one lifestyle. But we will see. But it's like a year into this, I, not one time have I thought. Man, it's kind of feeling old. Like never once, not even once have I thought, I wish I had more computer at my fingertips. It is it is so good. And Apple did a great job with it. Uh, but but I'm not always at my desk. So I also have a 13-inch MacBook Pro that I don't use very often. Uh, I really only use it heavily when I'm traveling for work and we're doing you know live podcasts or I'm at a conference or something. And uh, then the MacBook Pro gets you know pretty heavy usage. But most of the time, it's just sort of, uh, just at the side of my desk, you know, charging, kind of just waiting to be pushed into service. But it, it can go weeks, honestly, without me using the MacBook Pro at all. Uh, and that that's that's fine by me. I have it for when I need it. That's why I have the Pro, so I can do the audio stuff or video stuff on the road. But I'm at, I'm at my desktop if I'm at work. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's almost like a studio rig for you, the, the MacBook Pro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, I have it set up with all the same stuff as the iMac Pro. So if I need to walk out of the studio and go do something somewhere else, I have it all at my fingertips. But I would just rather use the large display hooked up to the all the Xeons. Where's the iPad fit in your life? Uh, that is a changing answer. If you uh, asked me a couple years ago, I would say it's basically just for media consumption and some email and stuff. But uh, especially with the new 12.9, and I really like the bigger keyboard. Uh, so I'm using the iPad Pro more and more when I'm not working at my desk. Now, I know Jason talked about editing a podcast uh, or editing a lot of podcasts in Ferrite. I actually, right before we recorded this show, I edited my first my first podcast in Ferrite. I did an episode of Ungenius in it. Uh, it's not for me yet. It's going to take some time to get used to that because uh, I use Logic every day. But for for non-audio work, the iPad Pro is taking over more and more where I would have taken the MacBook Pro, say if I were going to go work at a coffee shop for the afternoon or go work, you know, say at one of my parents' houses or something. When I I would have taken my laptop, more and more I'm taking the iPad for the administrative stuff. For I spend a lot of time doing show prep, as you might imagine. And all that is just great on the iPad Pro. Uh, Things like Google Docs could be way better. I'm sure we will talk about that at some point. But for the non-recording stuff, the iPad Pro can really almost do all of it now, and it's just a matter of me sort of getting uh, adjusted to the way that my workflows need to change on iOS. But there are a lot of things that I, where I prefer it now, but it's still, you know, if I'm working, I'm usually at the iMac Pro. That that iPad work usage is still pretty low percentage-wise, but it, I feel like it's always growing. Yeah, I, I think that's a common 
I think that's a, a sane response to it. Honestly, you use it where it makes sense. Yeah. So, like, sure. so like if you're taking a trip, but you're not doing a live show, do you still bring the MacBook Pro? Uh, so this year was the first time I left it behind. So I went on like uh, a week of vacation to go visit some extended family, and I just took the iPad. Uh, nothing. I was doing no recording. I didn't have a microphone with me. I couldn't record if I wanted to. I was. I had a little bit of admin stuff here and there to do, and the iPad Pro was great. So it, it also kind of depends on if it's a work trip, but we're not recording. Uh, I may bring it, especially if I'm traveling with Mike, uh, and he doesn't travel with the Mac, so sometimes it's helpful to have one for certain things. But uh, I, I suspect there'll be more and more opportunities in 2019 to to leave the MacBook Pro here and just take an iPad Pro, especially if it's vacation or sort of a a low work trip, if that makes sense. All right, I'd like to uh, for the listeners just kind of let's set a baseline for you know introductory Stephen. Uh, some of the apps you use and stuff, because, you know, that stuff always comes out as we work through the show. Yeah. And I know that this is always changing for both of us and as along with the listeners too. But as we sit here and you're getting started on the Mac power users, what are some of your common apps? Like for instance, what do you use for email? Uh, I, I use a lot of stock Apple applications. So I use mail on iOS and Mac OS. Uh, I have a same box account, they're a sponsor and, uh, but I've used their product for a long time. So I get all the cool SaneBox stuff, and that works in any mail client, as you know. So I can use mail, but still have things like snoozing or you know the same black hole and stuff. That's a really great combination for me. Uh, I actually like Apple's default mail app. I know some people don't, but it works for me, and I've used it for a long time, and it works really well uh, for what I need from it. And it's built in, so I use that. Um, yeah, I've been doing and, an extended airmail thing right now. Rose talked me into oh it. And you know what? It's yeah. it's actually a lot more stable and better. But there was some some wonkiness I was having with it last night. And I just last night I opened up Apple mail on my iPad for the first time in about six weeks. I'm yeah. like, this is still a pretty good app. You know, like the problem <laughs> yeah, I was having yeah. in airmail, I didn't have in that, but, but then all the automation mm-hmm. stuff in airmail is so powerful. Uh, so that makes sense. I, I think also uh, the Apple mail is, is very secure. I mean, for a lot of people that work in networks and, you know, on, yeah. you know, they, they, they need a, a an Apple, uh, application, you know, there's no wonkiness going on there. Right. A lot, and a lot of those apps require to have a token, like for your Gmail account or your iCloud account or something. And sometimes that's not allowed if you're in a, in a sort of an IT managed environment. So it's good to have options. Uh, you know, mail definitely lacks some of the fancy things like airmail. Like you said, the, the automation stuff, like take a message and send it to a bunch of places. Mail has no concept of that. And so on the Mac, uh, what I do is I have a text expander snippet to give me the URL of the for, the frontmost mail message. Yeah. And so if I need to like, oh, I need to answer this email, I can attach that mail URL to my task and then archive the mail message. And then when it's time, hit the link and mail opens it. So you can get around some of that stuff on the Mac, but it's not as fluid as something like what AirMail can offer uh, when AirMail is behaving. How, how do you grab a uh, an, an Apple Mail message ID with a text expander snippet? Oh, it's a Dr. Drang trick, uh, actually. Um, I'll find something to put it in the show notes, but basically you it's some it's Apple script. So you uh, text expander basically looks at mail and mail reports uh, basically the URL of that message and then text expander grabs it. Yeah, because there, there are links, but I, I had never seen it done through a single text expander snippet. So I, I'm curious. I, I'm going to adopt that myself. Good idea. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I'll tell you the problem with Apple Mail is when you get over, if you start doing a lot of work on your iPad Pro, because like sending a message to 
um, OmniFocus or or doing some. It just Apple Mail seems like it has its hands tied. But we'll talk about that in the future. I, I really wish Apple Mail and iOS would get some some love. Yeah, me too. Uh, what about calendars? Uh, again, the stock application uh, meets my needs. I don't do uh, as much calendaring as I used to when I had a bunch of meetings at work to deal with. Uh, and I use iCloud to power all that stuff with a bunch of shared family calendars and stuff. The built-in Apple calendar meets my needs pretty well. Uh, it lacks some of the, again, some of the features like Fantastical has with native uh, language entry. So you can just type in, you know, lunch with David at 12 and it does the right thing. Uh, the Mac calendar app can do that, but it's sort of shaky when it gets it right. But I don't miss that enough to use a third-party app. For me, the calendar is built in. I get all the benefits of it being built in and uh, it's it's been rock solid for a really long time. Yeah, and, and and once again, you can use those in conjunction. Like you can use the you know Fantastical toolbar tool, but use the Apple Calendar display. I'll tell you the thing that makes me crazy about Apple Calendar is just when you want to edit an event. It feels to me like they figured out you know how how can we make this seven taps. How about eight? You know, you're right. <laughs> it's like it's like they had a contest to see who could make it take the most number of interactions to like just even to just delete an event. It's crazy. Um, ta- so that's something we'll talk about. <laughs> Task management. Where do you do that? You got a, You got a piece of paper and a pencil, fancy pen like Mike. Stone tablet. No, no. It's uh, it's an it's an OmniFocus. Um, okay. If if people have followed me for years, I, I have a tendency to bounce around between. Uh, task managers, but OmniFocus 3 solved some of the frustrations I had with OmniFocus before, and uh, I've been there for a while now, and it's been it's been pretty good. So that's that's. See, I thought I thought you were on Remember the Milk now. I was all ready to to, to like give you a hard time. <laughs> you know, I get that from the connected guys. Uh, I used Remember the Milk for a really really long time, and then I went back to it several years ago for a little while. But they like to stick it to me yeah. that I used an app with such a silly icon, but um. But I've used that. I've used Todoist. I've used To Do the number two D O, which I like as well. Um, but OmniFocus, uh, all those power tools that you guys talk about, are why I'm there at this point. What about cloud storage? Are you uh, iCloud, Dropbox? Where where are you at with that stuff? Basically, all of my working files are on Dropbox through uh, either folders that are just there to me. But I do a lot of collaboration with a bunch of podcasters and editors and stuff, and so I have a lot of shared folders. No one at iCloud has gotten the message that people may want to share folders, so it's still all in Dropbox. But I do use iCloud. I pay for iCloud storage. I have my photo library there. I use Apple Notes. You know, I use the calendar and contact syncing and all that stuff. So I have a lot of stuff in iCloud, but when it comes to shared files, all of that's in Dropbox. In fact, on my laptop, there's very little on the SSD that's not in Dropbox, honestly. And so now let's talk about the production side a little bit. So there's there's a couple of things you do that I think are very interesting and and production heavy. One is you do a lot of like editing and audio podcast work um, on that fancy iMac Pro. Um, what's your weapon of choice for audio work? So I, I'm recording everything in Audio Hijack. I edit in uh, Apple's Logic. Logic is a program that I use 8% of it. Maybe not even 8%, maybe like 5% of it because it's a music production tool. Yeah. And it's it, it's it's got way too much stuff for what I need, but uh, it's kind of the, the best option for what I need to get done uh, at this point. Um, I have some hopes that 
there'll be some more options there in the future on the Mac, but for now it's Logic. And Logic's, you know, plenty stable and I can get around it very quickly. So I've I've gotten um I've gotten to a point where I can get what I need to get done in there uh pretty quickly and pretty well. So all the editing is in Logic. And then I use a tool that Marco Arment wrote called Forecast to take my logic export and make it an MP3. Uh put the chapters in, do artwork and sort of all the metadata and uh, and then it's done. So it's it's audio hijack to record, logic to edit, and then forecast to make MP3s. And then uh, Stephen also has a YouTube channel and I'd recommend everybody just go subscribe because it's one of the my favorite channels. It uh, It's got good content, doesn't overwhelm you. And every time you post something, it's delightful. My, <laughs> my, my favorite one is the external shot of you trying to carry all the Macs into your shed. <laughs> Still. Someone left a comment, like, you're going to hurt your back. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but you do some video production. I mean, we talked about your table, your top-down table, and I know that you've got, like, um, kind of rigs in your, your home studio to shoot a lot of video. Um, uh, what software do you use to make those? So I'm editing in in Final Cut. It's it's very different from Logic, but it, it it's similar enough where if you know one, you can kind of figure out the other. And uh, something like Adobe Premiere, which is overkill for what I need to do. Uh, and so I'm using Final Cut there. the The YouTube channel is is definitely a side project. It is you know if I, in fact as we're recording this, there hasn't been a video up for a while, but I'm actually working on one basically as we speak, that'll be up right after the new year. So it's it's definitely something that is not a, a primary outlet for me, but it scratches a creative itch that I have. And it's it's sort of fun to learn about the video side of things, the audio stuff I have down, but learning about cameras and lenses and how to shoot stuff and what looks good and what doesn't, all the editing has been a real learning curve. And it's something that I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years. You know, that that's me too. I So I, I started with this new office and studio. I've got a YouTube channel now and mm-hmm. I've been putting content on and I'm not doing it really for the sake to become a famous YouTuber so much as I just want to share more. And it's such an easy way. And it is just kind of a fun experiment to play with it. I've really enjoyed doing it as well. It's fun to do something different, right? And YouTube is a really big place. And so I feel like I can experiment and, and try things and see what works and see what doesn't with like my audience noticing. And sometimes, you know, I've got some videos that have gone pretty big. I have one that went really viral, but most of them, you know, it's people that we know checking them out. So I get good feedback and it's fun for that give and take. It's fun just to, to, to show off all this like stuff that I have in the office. And, you know, some people haven't seen a 12 inch power book up close. Like what was that machine about? And I can explain it and show them like really nice videos of it. And the way I view it is like, if someone's going to put, Something like that on YouTube in 4K, it might as well be me because I have it all. And so uh, it gives me sort of a a reason to keep the collection and to keep it up. And it it bring it gives me a place to share some of that stuff that I I don't get to do in other formats as easily. I agree. I I think there's some things that make sense to be written as words and some things that make sense to be done as a audio podcast and some things that make sense as a video. And um, I want to be able to play in all those sandboxes. Totally. I agree 100%. So uh, the show's called Mac Power Users. We really are Apple Power Users. We talk a lot about iOS 2 and Apple Watches and basically anything Apple ships. So, uh, Ben, you've got a lot of experience with the company. But as we sit here and, and you're getting started, what are some of your favorite things and your least favorite things about Apple? Oh, man. I I think they've gotten really good at this, the the stuff that glues their products together. So I love that if I you know, create something 
uh, and save an iCloud on my iPad that it's on my Mac the second I wake the Mac up or vice versa. All the iCloud stuff has gotten really good and for the most part. And I like that you're sort of rewarded for being in the ecosystem. And I think that Apple does that better than anybody else. And uh, that's one of my favorite things about it. It's like, I can just get this or I can have a family member get it or I can recommend it to a friend and know that generally they're going to be okay. And that means a lot to me because uh, what I recommend people, I, I take that very seriously. Yeah. The thing that I, I'm struggling with now, and this isn't unique to me, of course, is like I do feel like on some of the pricing stuff, they've got to get that under control. Uh, I don't know if they can sell a $1,400 smartphone indefinitely. Uh, I don't. I just don't know. And uh, I think that it's kind of a bad look in some ways to be charging what they are for some of their, some of their products. Uh, and I definitely don't like that. Cause Hey, like I buy most of the stuff and it's expensive and it's, it is kind of hard to recommend a family member. Like, Hey, I need to buy an iPhone. I'm like, well, my answer is kind of an iPhone eight because the 10 S is probably too expensive or, you know, or uh, now it's the 10 R thankfully, but even that's more expensive than the eight was. And so there there's, that's always like a, a thing you have to consider. And, and reality, that's always kind of been true. Apple's always been expensive, but it feels like they've stepped over some sort of invisible line the last couple of years, and I don't, I don't love it. I just, I mean, just over the holidays, I, I spent time with a bunch of extended family, and of course, they all come to me to ask about the new iPhones, mm-hmm. and I, I told them, you know, because these are people who don't listen to Mac Power users, who don't get them, you know, they don't know even know what Siri shortcuts is, and they never will, and. And I said, look, I think your starting point is the 10R and, you know, go look at it. And then if you can find, you know, these are the things that make the 10S different. And if one of those is super important to you, like one of my family members really wants the biggest screen possible. I said, Mm -hmm. you're going to pay for that. You know, I can pay a lot for that, you know, but, (laughs) but, you know, but I I think, and that wouldn't have been true a few years ago. You know, if the pricing was a little more uh, consistent with what it used to be, I would always tell people to start with the best one. You know, if you're going to, get the phone, get the best one. But I, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. I think that, I think that's right. And this year, like in 2018 in particular, Apple's done a little bit better job. Like, yeah, the 10 R is like a, a great sort of compromise there. It is a little more expensive, but you get most of the good stuff out of the 10 S honestly, like it's a great phone. Yeah. And likewise, the MacBook Air is sort of back and yeah, it's probably a little too expensive, but now there's kind of a default answer again, if someone wants to buy a notebook and that's good. So like they're making stride, but I don't, I don't love it. I don't, um, I don't like that. I feel like I sort of have to temper any of my advice with like, uh, if you can afford it or if you can't, here's another option. Uh, I miss the sort of simplicity we used to have. Uh, I think they'll strain it out one way or the other, or we'll just get used to it, I guess. But I don't, it's definitely something that I struggle with as like a, as a consumer and as someone who sort of talks about Apple, you know, critically, it's a complicated thing to, to broach, I think. Well, it'll be fun to see how that progresses. You know, I mean, I, I think they're very focused right now on trying to prove things to Wall Street. And uh, that can be a, a road to disaster for Apple. But I think so. Uh, before we uh, before we get on, we got, we got one more sponsor. But after that, I definitely want to talk to you about a lightning round. And we have a big announcement. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at Hover, who are celebrating their 10-year anniversary this month in January. That's pretty cool. With Hover, you can find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. So my blog talked about it earlier, 512pixels.net. That domain is registered at Hover. It's been at Hover for forever, basically. And the name is something I get questions about, and it comes from the size of the display on the original Macintosh. 512 pixels help define uh, 72 DPI. Again, uh, 
a sort of a screen resolution that all of us know about because of that original Mac. And I like that it's like a, a sort of a nerdy reference to the original Mac that some people won't get, but those who do makes them smile. And uh, when I came up with that idea, the domain was available. I registered it, registered a bunch of other domains around it, uh, all that through Hover. And it lets me put my idea out into the world, sharing stuff about old technology. The great thing about Hover is they allow you to keep your domain separate from your hosting. So my domains are there. My hosting is somewhere else. And that means you don't get stuck with services that don't meet your needs, that you can really pair your domain with whatever you need to do with that domain. It's a really critical difference. I also love there are no upsells. It's a clean user interface. Look, we've all been to those registrars where they they charge you for this and they charge you for that and they try to put something in your cart behind your back and they're going to charge you to keep it private. There's no upsell. There's no of that tricky stuff with Hover. It's very straightforward. And if you have a problem, their customer support team, they're just unbelievable. DNS can be confusing at times. I've had, had questions about it. And you can talk with a real-life person. They know what they're talking about. They can give you an answer definitively, and they can get you on your way. And it's something I really appreciate as someone who's really busy. As I mentioned, Hover is celebrating their 10-year anniversary this January. So they're putting out some pretty awesome promotions from January 16th through the 30th. So here's what they're doing. .com domains will be $10. $10 domains for email, $10 domain transfers, and some 99 cent domains as well. A dollar, 99 cents for domains. It's hard to believe. So keep uh, an eye out on the Hover website or social media to see when those offers go live uh, over the course of January. And go to hover.com slash 10 years to find out more. That's hover.com slash 10 years to find out more. My thanks to Hover for their support of Mac Power Users and Relay FM. So I thought it'd be fun to do a lightning round just to kind of ask some silly questions, short answers, let the audience get to know you a little better. Okay. Whew, I'm ready. Okay. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Light mode on your Mac or dark mode? Light mode, surprisingly. Yeah, I thought you'd be a dark mode guy. Uh, not for me. Headphones or earbuds? Headphones. I'm learning so much about you, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> Office or iWork? iWork. Yeah. I thought I had you down for an iWork guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you know how to Snapchat? No. <laughs> Too old. <laughs> do, you know how to, do you know how to Snapchat, David? Uh, I do. Oh, so you got kids the right age. See, my kids I are do. too young. I do. I'm in no man's land in the middle. Instagram stories, you know what those are? Yes, I love Instagram. I am increasingly uh, becoming an Instagram fan myself. Uh, we'll put our Instagram, let's put our Instagram handles in the show notes so people can awesome. follow okay. along. Uh, Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Right answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Are you, are you a video game guy? I, I had no idea. Do you do you, do you video game? Uh, I, I do not video game. <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I kind of expected that, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. No. Uh, what about sports ball? You got any, uh, are you into sports? Uh, yeah. I love college and, uh, college basketball and the NBA. Love All right. basketball. All right. Uh, well, what's your favorite NBA team? Uh, well, um, for Memphis, we have, a, we have a home team, the Memphis Grizzlies, not always stellar, not always the top of the league, but they're a lot of fun to watch and they're local. So I can go see them anytime I want. Nice. Nice. Favorite animal. Who uh giraffe. <laughs> okay, you gotta um, explain that one. They're they're tall and funny looking. Like what what else do you need? Like they're so unique. Okay. Well I didn't I wouldn't have guessed that. I, 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 it came out of my brain quickly. It's the lightning round, it's just whatever happens. happens. All right, I, I got you. Um <laughs> uh HomePod or Echo? HomePod. Uh I thought you were an Echo guy. Uh, I've 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 changed teams. 
I don't want to say how many HomePods I have, though. Okay. cut them out of the course of the show. Yeah. Well, I got another one over the holidays, so I don't want to say how many I have either. Well, sure. Me too. Well, I'll keep that secret. $250. How do you say no? Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, siblings. Uh, one younger brother. And, and your brother is super into video production as well, right? He is. He runs a nonprofit. They do work in South Sudan, and a lot of their fundraising is through video documentary stuff they shoot in South Sudan. It's really cool. Nice. Mountains or beach? Mountains. So, you know, if you moved to California, you'd have both. That's true. That is true. All right. Um, uh, favorite Star Wars movie? Empire Strikes Back. Okay, good. Now, this one is very important. In fact, I should have asked it to you before we confirmed you coming on the show. <laughs> Han shot first. True or false? True. He definitely shot first. Good. <laughs> Come on. You, you passed. <laughs> good. That's good. Okay. Okay, old Mac guy. Uh, Newton or Palm Pilot? Newton. All right. Uh, uh, a- alien. What's your favorite alien movie? Arrival or an Independence Day? Arrival. Okay. I, I have to disagree with you on that one, but we'll save that for another day. Okay. Uh, Spotify or Apple Music? Apple Music. Yeah. Well, that many HomePods, right? <laughs> yeah. One in every room, basically. Yeah. Just a, a stream um, of them. What's the best live concert you've ever attended? Uh, the Avett Brothers. Um, what's the last thing you binge watched? Travelers on Netflix. It's incredible. Uh, I've, I, I saw season three just came out. I haven't watched it yet. It's really good. It's got the Will and Grace guy. I've watched the first two seasons. Okay, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Um, okay, I asked my kids, what's the one question I should ask Stephen? <laughs> and they gave me <laughs> one. They said, English monarchy, good or bad? <laughs> uh, good. Okay. Yeah, all right. Seems to work for him. Yeah, there you go. Batman or Superman? Batman. <laughs> Superman. Come on. Batman, of course. Superman is silly, David. Now, are you passionate about Batman, Stephen? I didn't know this. <laughs> Extremely. <laughs> okay. Well, that kind of makes sense, because I feel like you're kind of like the Batman of the Mac community, like showing up with oh, your, I, your cable like ties that. and your... Uh... Yeah, I'm putting that on a business card. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a listener to do some artwork, Stephen is Batman. Please, please send that to us. <laughs> what, what would you have on your belt? Um, I, we, uh, certainly a USB cable or two with the different dongles. <laughs> yes, it's you have a you have a dongle pouch. Yeah, uh, like you said, some zip ties uh, or Velcro for cable management, or for making sure the Joker doesn't escape. I would say you probably have uh, an original iPhone. Um, <laughs> okay, you know. Although uh, I, I do think on the dongles, they would not be in a pouch. They'd be like connected, so you could just rip one off if you needed. Oh, it. that's good. Yeah, yeah. A pouch would slow you down. That's a really good point. That's good. And, and then you'd have to have one of those USB drives with an installation of every Mac OS back to I don't know seven. Yeah. System seven. Yeah, you never know what you're going to need to install when you're saving Gotham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right i like that anyway uh gang i i just want in case you didn't realize it i'm very sad that katie left i'm very happy that steven said yes and we're gonna have a great time with the show going forward um uh, mac power users isn't gonna change a whole lot we're still gonna focus on content shows in fact the next content show we're gonna do we're already deep in planning on is gonna be mm-hmm. all about using a mac mini as a home server in 2019 what does that mean and uh, we've got, you know, what's the case for it? What's the case against it? And what's the best way to do it? That's going to be next week's show. Um, we're going to have guest interviews. We've got some really cool guests lined up already for 2019. Uh, as always, let us know if you've got something interesting to tell. Maybe you, you'll be a guest on MPU in the future. Um, a lot of cool plans. Uh, one thing we're going to do, we're, we're planning for episode 500, which is going to happen 
uh, in late summer. And uh, we've got some ideas for that. We can't share them just yet because we're not sure. Uh, But we have news. Steven, you want to share the big news? Yes. So we are going to do a live Mac Power Users in Chicago on the evening of Saturday, March the 2nd. So, uh, David, you're going to be in town. I'm going to come up and we're going to do uh, a live show together, which uh, is just a ton of fun. So there is a URL uh, in the show notes uh, to a ticket page. Uh, it is a pretty small venue. And so uh, tickets are going to be uh, more limited than we would like. But this venue is really great. We've done some other events there in the past. Uh, tickets will be 20 bucks, and there'll be VIP tickets that come with pizza and hangout time after the show. Uh, those will be 30 bucks. All the information is on that page. Uh, if you're interested in this um, and you're going to be around, uh, definitely check it out. If you have any questions about it or anything, you can get in touch. Uh, there's an email link right there on the page that comes straight to me. And uh, we're just really excited to bring MPU uh, out on stage and do do a show together. So we have some ideas about what we're going to do. And I think it'll be a real fun, nerdy evening in Chicago. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, it'll be cold early March, so uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to get into the shed and find my parka, the California boy. But the uh, yeah. I can't wait to do that. So we'll hopefully we'll see you all. And we did it on Saturday night, so it'll be a lot easier for people to get to. Mm-hmm. Past things we've done in Chicago on weeknights, it's always hard for folks to get there. Yep. And and doors will open at seven, so uh, you know you can you can start planning ahead. And but definitely check it out. I think tickets will go pretty quick. So, so do check that out. We look forward to seeing you. And thanks for listening. Once again, we are the Mac Power Users. Uh, you can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, there's a cool website you may not know about. If you go to MacPowerUsers.com, it's a list of all of the episodes of Mac Power Users since the beginning, way, way back. Uh, so you may want to check that out if there's any prior content you want to catch up with. Uh, on Twitter, we are uh, Mac Power Users. Uh, Steven, on Twitter, you are ISMH, correct? I am. I am Max Sparky. Uh, you can find Steven over at 512pixels.net along with uh, several other shows on the Relay Network. And I'm at MaxSparky.com. And I think that's it. I miss anything? Sounds good to me. Steven, I'm so happy to have you on board. I can't wait to make a lot of Mac Power Users with you going forward. Me too, buddy.